Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. Chart is definitely in a downtrend, and it's uh, it's definitely not cheap enough yet. Invest Talk. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022 edition. Now, as investors in... Uh, our interest to pay close attention to the U.S. economy and the labor force. Uh, it's very important uh, to pay attention to the unemployment rate as an important piece of the puzzle. So let's first start off with the definition of unemployment rate is a percentage of unemployed workers in the labor force. Remember, that's the labor force, not total population, the people that are either working or actively looking for work. That is the labor force. Now, <clears throat> this ebbs and flows with the economy. And uh, you probably wondered how many people are unemployed in the US. And from this from the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics. And the current numbers, uh, as of June, the current current unemployment rate sits at 3.6%, total of unemployed people 5.9 million, and unemployed insurance claims 1.7 million. So not everybody that is unemployed is collecting unemployment. They may be unemployed for a long period of time, and that might have run out. Now, to broaden the perspective, let's look at unemployment figures for the past 90 years. And the highest rate of U.S. unemployment was 24.9% in 1933 during the Great Depression, obviously. And unemployment remained above 14% from 1931 to 1940. That entire decade was, that's what they called the Great Depression, just very, very worse than the 08 financial crisis, which uh, peaked out right around, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Oh, that's interesting. From 1940 to 1982, unemployment rate stayed at single digits until September 1982. That's when it reached 10.1%. During the Great Recession, also reached about 10% in October of that, that, of that year. Now, in 2020, the unemployment rate did get to double digits, 14.7 for a brief period of time, but obviously came back down pretty quickly. The lowest unemployment rate in modern history, 1.2%, 1944, after the Great New Deal, getting all of everyone to work on building roads and bridges and uh, Hoover Dam, etc. So that was some historical context to what we're seeing today and what the numbers look like uh, uh, in, in relation to history. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you, giving some more information, some more perspective, 
to help answer your your, your finance and investment questions with my straight and unbiased answers. Now, most importantly today is to help you take that next step in your own version of financial freedom. And this is a different investment environment, and that means you have to have your head in a swivel both ways. It's not just about low inflation that would dip into deflation. No, this is higher inflationary environments that's going to ebb and flow in a bigger way. And so that means more volatility, more opportunity, but more risks as well. So our goal is to help you take advantage of those risks and avoid the pitfalls that come with a volatile market. So I invite your phone calls and questions right now during our anytime listener or on our anytime listener line, which is 8899 chart, or if you're listening live four to five Pacific time, you can call and ask your question directly. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Nick calling from Idaho. I have a question about I-bonds. Right now, the interest rate is 9.6%, and the interest rate changes on November 1st. I'm wondering if you guys think that the interest rate will increase or decrease based on the more recent CPIs and whether I should buy a full $10,000 worth now or maybe buy half now and then half in November at the new rate. Thanks. Bye. Well, it shouldn't matter unless you think that the rate is going to go up. And I think the rate's going to go down. Um, now, is it going to go down a ton? Uh, probably not, but uh, it's likely to go down in November to some degree. Uh, so I would be buying now. If you're going to try to allot your $10,000 for the year, is it going to be now or wait till November? I would say uh, do it now, especially since you have a, a year until you can touch that money or it's locked up for a year. Uh, and then you're going to have another exposed to another uh, potential decline uh, six months after November. Uh, and so I would rather be buying now because I do think it will dip. And you look at the uh, manufactured prices paid index uh, that came out yesterday on the ISM figure that came down pretty, pretty, pretty dramatically. Uh, and so that's a leading indicator typically of where inflation is going and inflation is likely headed lower for the end of, you know, between now uh, and the end of the year. It's just a matter of the magnitude. All right. Thanks for the call. Now my focus point today is based on this headline, the big risk with employee stock purchase plans, ESPPs. A 2020 report has revealed that those who participated in both a 401k and an ESPP contributed 32% more to their 401k than employees who just invested in the 401k itself. Now, if we have time, here are some other topics that I will touch base on as well. One is manufacturing activity. I want to go over the ISM report yesterday and give you a rundown of how recessionary it looks. Also, the inherited IRA, the IRS is changing some rules. So I wanted to give you an update there. And then lastly, what low cost areas are going to be able to fight the headwind of higher mortgage rates and could avoid a price decline? So we're going to look at that as well. But ultimately, I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call. 
8899 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's take a look at the market. The S&P was down 27 points. Uh, we rallied into the 100-day moving average, which uh, would naturally be resistance. So uh, to have a little bit of down day today is not a shock. You definitely had growth outperforming value, which was interesting considering the 10-year was up pretty dramatically today, up 13.5 basis points. So that was a, a pretty big move off of some uh, decent support on the 10-year. And, and I've said this uh, before that I think we're in, now entering a trading range uh, on the 10-year, the probably between 2.5 and maybe 3.25, and uh, just to see what the next move of uh, the economy will be, of what um, uh, in, inflation will be, what the Fed will be doing, not just the next few months, because that's kind of known. Uh, what gets more murkier is what happens after the, uh, is it the Nova, uh, September? And I believe is, it's the, the next two meetings, basically. That's kind of known, 50 and probably 25 basis points. But what happens after that? Are they going to, is your next move another hike? Is it a pause for a while? Is it a, a, a quick uh, cut at some point early next year. I think that's what the market is going to try to battle with, uh, especially as you have an inverted yield curve uh, uh, in some parts, a flat year yield curve in others, uh, just shows that the slowdown in the economy that the bond market is expecting. So we're entering likely this trading range on the uh, on interest rates. The dollar that was up strongly as well on the back of uh, those higher rates. Uh, you had Gold that was down just a bit uh, on the higher rates, and then you had small caps, small caps that was about flat on the day. So they definitely had some leadership there in small caps and the growth side of the market. Now we're heading into a break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. So give me a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart. Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's head over to Arkansas. We're going to talk with Alan. He wants to talk about buying bonds. Yeah. 
So Steve always says it's best to buy the physical bond. And I called my broker today, Fidelity, and and I wanted to get a, a, a tip, you know, the, the interest one. And mm-hmm. um, I wondered if I could get the physical bond, and they said, no, you can't. So I'm just wondering, do, you ha- do I have to go to a different broker to get the physical bond? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, now, you could probably buy it through treasurydirect.gov. You can buy not just yeah, that, that's yeah. the place where a lot of people buy I-bonds, um, but you can buy other types of bonds, savings bonds, uh, and you might be able to buy tips through there as well. Never. Let me see. Yeah, I believe you can. Um, I would rather buy I-bonds over tips. So if you're staying under the $10,000 uh, rule, then I would probably go with the uh, the I bonds uh, over directly tips. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So head over treasurydirect.gov. Let's go to Florida, and we're going to talk to Chris. Who wants to talk about Uber. Hey, Justin. Uh, yeah, I just had a question about Uber in regards to earnings results. Um, how stocks surged on those, they lost money, and it was just on sales growth. And also, Kathy Wood's comments last week on CNBC about how growth is still going to lead the way. Just curious on your thoughts. I mean, just Kathy Wood, there's really no comment need to be made there. She's a big destroyer of capital. If you you, uh, look at the flows of of, um, assets into her funds, and she's already shut down one, and she'll shut down many others. Um, She's this happens in every market cycle. She jumped on a fad and made big returns in a short period of time, and everyone chased those returns. But the old saying is, you can chase returns, but you'll never catch them. And that's what's happening in the ARC funds. And so uh, I don't really need to comment too much on Kathy because she's been wrong outside of you know a very short period of time consistently. So, uh, And then when it comes to Uber... You know, this is a good example of a company that uh, it was down and uh, on expectations of the bad earnings report, and they came out with them, and it wasn't quite as bad as expected. But still, they lost a dollar thirty-two per share after losing three dollars and four cents last year. Uh, sorry, excuse me, last quarter. And so this year, they're expected to lose three dollars and fifty-nine cents, and that's better than two thousand nineteen when they lost five dollars and four cents. But their business prospects continue to be rough. Uh, and uh, ultimately, I don't think Uber is a great long-term investment. Uh, they've clearly been a destroyer of capital. And they're, you know, do you really care whether you're driven by an Uber or a Lyft or, you know, another competitor? Probably not. Uh, you just, it's like, an air, it's like airlines back in the day when you just, Want to get from point A to point B, and Uber is the same way. Uh, now, I think it's going to stay around, and there'll be enough people to throw more shares at it, etc. But certainly, isn't going to be a good long-term investment. So, uh, I would pass on Uber. Now, I think it's time for a break, and then when I return, I will take a tackle at my focus point. So, give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. 
I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today is based on this headline The Big Risk with Employee Stock Purchase Plans. Now, these are pretty popular. Nearly three quarters of public companies offer an ESPP, an Employee Stock Purchase Plan, as of 2018. And typically how this works is that participants are giving some sort of a discount to the share price. And ideally, in the best case scenario, there's called a look back period, look at the low and the high and whatever uh, is most advantageous over the previous quarter is, uh, is used for the price. And then they take the 15% or whatever the discount is on those shares. Now, those who participated in 401ks and ESPPs contribute 32% more than those that just have a four, just contribute to their 401k. And <clears throat> there are pros and cons to this. Now, the first is ESPPs are capped at $25,000 per year for tax qualified plans. So there are some limitations to it. But nearly four in 10 public companies offer discounts and a look back period, which is which is nice. Now, there are complicated rules, tax rules to consider. There are levies on the discount. There's also a breakdown whether uh, this is considered regular income or long-term capital gains. That depends on when you sell the shares. And some companies have holding periods. They don't want you to flip the shares and sell them immediately. So you want to know whether the ESPP is tax qualified and the length of uh, offer, offering period, the purchase dates, how to make changes, what happens if you pull out of the plan, etc. All these are factors you have to consider if you are eligible for an ESPP. Now, the, another thing to consider is there's no guarantee that you will make a profit. Just because you're getting a 15% discount does not mean that the stock's always going to go up. They don't. From 1980 to 2020, 45% of companies from the Russell 3000 index suffered a 70% price decline from the peak and never recovered. 45%, nearly half of the stocks over that period. So once again, this is not something that is a guaranteed win. It is a calculated bet. 15% is nice. Uh, you, you, it, it gives you a better chance, but if you're getting 15% of a company, 15% discount on a company that is drastically overvalued or has questionable a questionable business model that doesn't have long-term sustainable profit and cash flows, you may be getting a discount on something that is drastically overvalued. And over time, that is detrimental to your financial health. And then on top of that, you're probably working, you're working at the company as well, and there could be a risk of layoff longer term. So you certainly have to understand most particularly the risk of the company that you are buying into and how cyclical is the business, how much debt do they have? Um, all of these factors are important to understand the, the overall risk you're taking. And then you don't want to take uh, have a large percentage of your net worth in one particular company. Just look at what happened with Enron. People just kept piling money and money into the ESPP with Enron and had 60, 70, 80, 90% of their retirement assets in 
Enron stock, and then we all know what happened. So you want to weigh your risk tolerance and your goals before you enter, and you want to make sure you're meeting your other financial goals first, maxing out your traditional 401k, which is much more well-diversified, investing in your own uh, brokerage account, other other IRAs, Roth IRAs, paying off debts, hitting other savings goals as well. So as with anything, there are always pros and cons. And if that's something that you... The, mo- the number one thing you should leave this show with each and every day is that every financial decision should come with weighing the upside and the downside, the risks and the reward, and everything has that. And if you aren't aware of the risks, then you're probably going into something uh, somewhat blind. And when you are blinded to the risks, you are often blindsided at some point it's with something you didn't expect because you didn't have your eye on it. So, uh, ESPPs are ES, yeah, ESPPs are example of that. Now let's squeeze in another caller question for before the break. This one came in earlier from Wisconsin. Hi, this is Jackie from Wisconsin, and I'm calling about I as an igloo Y H. Uh, I just wanted to hear your opinion on this ETF and if it was a good buy point right now. I'll listen to your answer on the podcast. Thanks. Bye. All right, this is the iShares US Healthcare ETF, one of the largest healthcare ETFs in the world with about $3 billion in assets. And historically, healthcare stocks are pretty consistent companies. The issue, though, is they tend to not do that well in an inflationary environment. And the top holding is United Health, uh, and that's currently a bit overvalued. Uh, there's risk of uh, changes with universal health care or single-payer health care type of changes long term uh your, your second biggest holding nine percent of the portfolio johnson and johnson that's pretty well diversified they also have they have a, they have a uh, covid vaccine that has some issues with it same with pfizer which is 5.5 percent of uh of, of it and, and you know the mrna uh, platform is looking less secure over time so you certainly have risks there uh and it's not particularly undervalued so uh, I'm not a big fan of it. I don't love the exposure to biotechs and the healthcare space in general right now. You have to be very selective, and I don't like this broad exposure. Now we're heading into a break, so I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. InvestTalk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time 
with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime, 24 7, in the Invest Talk Voice Bank. 888 chart. On the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline Avoid this disruptor in decline. Disruptor stocks go through four distinct phases, but two of those can be very dangerous. That story tomorrow. But let's dig into the trends within the ISM report yesterday, and it was pretty illuminating when you look a little deeper. Now on the surface, the ISM manufacturing index came in at 52.8% in the month of July. That's slightly down from the 53 in June. Remember, anything above 50 is growth. So while growth is slowing, there is still growth in the manufacturing sector. Now the sub indices within the report showed more of a, a mixed bag. You had the uh, prices paid index that came from, down from 78.5 to 60, which it's the brings it to the lowest level in nearly two years, and I think the biggest decline since the financial crisis. And so th that was a positive overall. If you're thinking that uh, you want to see inflation to come down and the Fed to maybe pull off the the brake pedal uh, when it comes to raising interest rates. And then in employment index, that was a little bit below 50. So you saw a little bit of contraction there. Uh, new orders came in at 50, 48. That was also in contraction. Uh, the uh, unemployment, sorry, the employment index was interesting. It was, it was 49.9, so slight contraction. But that was up from 47.3 in the previous month. And you had construction spending. That was a separate report. That was down 1.1%. And um, overall, what you're seeing is that while everyone's talking about recession, you're still seeing growth in the manufacturing side. And I think a lot of that has to do with pent up demand, uh, not necessarily for cheap goods, but more high quality goods, because that's what we produce here in the US. We don't, we don't uh, produce a lot of the stuff uh, that is oversupplied in the market. Most of that stuff right now is made in China. And if you look at the ISM report in, over history, Below 48.7, that is an indication that we're in a recession and we're not quite there yet. So, yes, we're in a technical recession. That's true. But, you know, are we seeing recessionary type conditions in the business community? Not quite yet. More of stalling out kind of very, very slow growth. And consumer demand continues to fall, but the demand for things like cars, which we make a lot of those here in the US, uh, continues to be relatively robust. So overall, a uh, pretty decent report out of the manufacturing index yesterday, still modest growth with fast decelerating inflationary pressures. A lot of that had to do, commodities prices coming down, and that obviously feeds into those prices of manufacturing goods. Now, it's, an, it's not every day that we get calls from Arkansas, and we had a live call at the top of the podcast, and now we have a recorded question from a different listener, and it came in earlier, also from Arkansas, on 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Paul calling from Arkansas. I'm looking to add some income funds to my portfolio. One I'm looking at is a PIMCO fund, P-M-F, P as in Paul, M as in Mary, F as in Frank. It looks like a federal income tax exempt fund. I'm curious as what the risks might be besides, I mean, obviously interest rates 
going up could put the fund down as well as any of the holdings municipal going bankrupt, I guess. But I was wondering if there's anything else I should consider before deciding to add this to my portfolio. Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. This is the PIMCO Municipal Income Fund. PMF is the symbol. Uh, Morningstar is giving it three out of five stars. So about an average fund. And it uh, is relatively short term in duration. 55% of the holdings are between four and six years. Oh, no, sorry, that's coupon range. Let me go to maturity schedule. Excuse me. Ah, never mind. Let me take that all the way back. 44% of the holdings here are between 20 and 30 years in duration. Uh, 11%, 15 and 20, 13%, 10 to 15. So you're talking about, uh, let's see, 30, 60, that's 70% of the portfolio here. Actually, if you go 15%, it's over 30 years. So only, I'd say, 85 to 90% of this portfolio is very, very long-term, and that's why you get a lot of duration risk, and that's why you've seen this fund drop from 15 to a low of about 10 bucks, so down 33% over the span of the last six months. Now it has had a little bit of a rebound to $11.75, but you're taking a lot of duration risk. And that's my worry here. Now the municipal side, I don't worry too much about the credit quality, uh, as long as they're U US based. And uh, because I think the government's gonna go and, and kind of bail out any, any major municipal uh, issues. So you're well diversified here. I don't think that's, that's the issue, but you are taking a ton of duration risk, which I'm not a fan of. You, the, uh, it does have a lot of leverage as well, 47% leverage. So you're getting a leverage on top of that. So you're getting di nice distribution, but you're getting the leverage. And that's why you, know, you have long duration, you have a lot of leverage, hey, that's a ton of risk on that side. And that's why I probably wouldn't recommend this because of that leverage and that long duration. I would keep it something unlevered and relatively shorter term. And you know, you live in Arkansas, so you probably wanna get something that uh, helps you avoid the Arkansas tax rate, uh, state tax rate. Typically these federally tax-free funds are better for those that live in tax-free states, even Texas and Florida, et cetera, you don't care about state tax exemption because you don't have any state tax. So uh, you just are focused on federally tax free. And then on top of that, make sure these really only make sense for people in the very top tax bracket because the yields are so relatively low. So um, that's how you want to look at municipals and this fund, not a fan overall, kind of average and long duration, which I'm not a fan of. Now let's play two in a row. The next question from Illinois. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Ray from Illinois. Very much appreciate the podcast and everything you teach your listeners. I have a question about fractional shares. A lot of the online brokers are advertising fractional shares. And I was wondering, from your standpoint, is there a downside in buying fractional shares versus whole shares? Uh, just thinking in terms of investing in round dollar amounts as opposed to specific number of shares when buying and selling stocks. If you could let me know, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Not really. Uh, you know, you. we used to buy round lots for our clients, but it doesn't make sense anymore uh, now that the rates is so low, the, the commission rate so low, that used to be the biggest drawback, right? You don't want to buy two shares of something when, or two and a half shares when you're paying a $7 commission. Well, now you don't have to pay that. So it's not really a worry. So 
fractional shares, non-fractional shares. I think it's more of a gimmick than anything else. It's nice for uh, younger people or you know, people that don't have a lot of money to be able to go buy companies that have a high stock price. Um, you know, Google was one of those until the recent um, uh, share split. Amazon, same thing. Um, so, you know, there are companies that do get up there in nominal price and a lot of people can't afford just one share. So fractional is, is, is nice if you can, if you can do it. And a lot of platforms are, are allowing that now, Robinhood and, and that is spread to Fidelity, Schwab, TD, et cetera. So uh, nothing wrong with fractional shares. It's always about the overall percentage of your portfolio. And now that there's no commissions, not a big deal. Now let's pivot over to the inherited IRA rules. And this is a recent change because of the 2019 Secure Act, and it introduced a new 10-year payout rule for inherited accounts. Now the previous rule before this said that those who had got an inherited IRA, Roth IRA, 401k, they could spread out the withdrawals over their lifetime. So it was it was a low amount ARC RMD that they had to take out, add it to their adjusted gross income, and it typically wasn't a big tax burden because of that. But this new 10-year rule was designed to get more cash into government coffers faster. And most tax professionals looked at this rule and they thought, well, they just need to take the money out by the end of the 10th year. And that was until in May of, of last year, there was a revision by the IRS where they stated that they, they had new guidance that would require heirs to take annual withdrawals in case in cases where the original owner died on or after his required beginning date for taking distribution. So his RMD date. So if the owner died after their RMD date, then that means you can't just wait until the, the end of the 10 years and take it all out. You have to kind of act like that person was still alive. You have to take out money each year over those 10 years. And this also applies to 401ks as well. Now, payouts from traditional inherited IRAs are taxed uh, like income. And that means people are taxed at a higher rate on that because they're usually when they're working as opposed to they could wait their entire life and a lot of that distribution would come in their latter years when they are uh, retired. Now, taxpayers can deal with this new guidance in, in a few ways. They can take the necessary, calculate the necessary amounts out each year. I did that for a client uh, the other day. And taxpayers who fail to take that RMD will be hit with a penalty of half the total amount they should be taken out. Now, spouses and certain heirs like uh, uh, disabled individuals, they can spread it out over their lifetimes. But if it's uh, a child or a grandchild, well, that triggers the 10-year rule. And inherited IRAs, owners don't have to take the payout uh, until the uh, end of the 10 years on Roth. Remember, Roths have already paid the payout or the, the tax, so you never have to pay taxes on that again. Now, some taxpayers and um, tax groups are urging the IRS to, to change this and, and get update the guidance, but it's still relatively unclear what they're going to do. They could make taxpayers make up misdistributions, or they could go back to the previous guidance as they did before. Uh, so we're still waiting on what happens, and they'll probably come up with un updated guidance by the end of the year. And you might want to be patient on that until you hear about that, if you have an inherited IRA. Now let's go to Ken in San Diego. Wants to talk about V-E-I-R-X. You own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I own the, uh, the stock. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had it several years. Matter of fact, uh, we, we talked about this uh, on the podcast once before. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I've been uh, using it to feed my RMD system, mm-hmm. and uh, I was wondering if I could get a, your your uh, thoughts on that now. Okay. Yeah, this is the Vanguard Equity Income Mutual Fund. So it's a well-diversified, about 90% it is in equities. So it is relatively aggressive, but it's certainly leaning on the value side of the market because it is interested most uh, on income. And only about 9.4% in technology. So that's relatively low. That's pretty good. Healthcare is 20%. So that'd be my biggest worry there. Only 0.5% of real estate. I would like that to be higher. Um, but energy 8.3, that's more than double the, the overall uh, S&P uh, exposure. Industrials 9.3, pretty good. Um, but would like that to be higher as well. So, But overall, the mix is, is pretty solid on that side. And uh, about... 7.5% in non-U.S. equities, so foreign stocks, that's relatively low, uh, but a, a decent exposure. Um, so this gets five stars on Morningstar. The uh, the uh, the yield, or say the expense ratio is pretty low at 0.19% annually. And so I have no problem with it. Just understand this is all equity, so it's certainly going to be volatile. Um, but if you're okay with that, you're okay with the, the, the potential volatility of equities, this is a pretty solid name. Uh, yes, I, I understand about the volatility. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think I'll stay with it. Uh, thanks a lot for the information. I enjoy your program very much. Appreciate it, Ken. Good luck with all that. Now we're heading, we're in the middle of the hottest summer days, and this is the time of year when market volatility generally heats up. And volatility means that you need to have your head on a swivel, like I said at the top of the show, and you have to update your strategies. And I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, which is in Irvine, California, just south of LA. Now, we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. So that's when we say independent thinking and shared success. That's how we do it in practice. We practice parallel investing. So if you need help understanding whether your portfolio is aligned with the current market environments and whether your strategy makes sense, given the economic uh, and geopolitical backdrop, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve at our company, uh, KVP, through investtalk.com. Or give us a call at 800-557-5461 to schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. We speak for a short period of time just to give an overview of where you're at, what your goals are, see if your portfolio is aligned. And we'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help get your portfolio optimized. Now let's grab a quick voice bank question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin or Steve. Wanted to get your opinion on ticker symbol J, Jacobs Engineering. They had earnings yesterday, I believe, and their stock dropped a little bit. I'm still up about 20%. I've owned them for a couple of years now. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the company. If you think I should buy more, hold, or sell a little bit. Thank you. Bye. All right, Jacobs Engineering is a global provider of engineering, design, procurement, construction, and maintenance services. And so it's uh, it's firmly in the industrial and, and heavy construction space. 
long term, they have pretty consistent profitability growth, and uh, it's not going to blow your socks off with growth, but it's going to be relatively consistent. And I like that. I like those consistent businesses. Good cash flow, not a whole lot of debt on its balance sheet. Enterprise value to EBITDA about 16.7, which you know is kind of average over the long term. Uh, so I'm fine with it. Yes, it's, it's dipped a little bit on the earnings, but uh, I think it's uh, modestly undervalued and a very solid, consistent company. So thumbs up. Now this is Invest Talk, and we're heading into our final break. So if you are going to call, you need to do that right now at 888 chart. Justin's here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your calls. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Jesse from New Hampshire. I had a question on Schwab the Bank, ticker symbol SCHW. I just wanted to know your guys' thoughts, where they're not mentioned as much as some of the other bigger banks out there. Thanks. Look forward to hearing, and uh, take care. Bye. Well, that's a very good reason why it's not talked about as a bank because it's not a bank. It's a broker. (laughs) And I know this very well because uh, our broker that we use for our clients is TD Ameritrade and Schwab bought them. And they're in the midst of a a merger over the next uh, year plus. Um, But yeah, this is not a not a bank. It is a brokerage firm. Now they have banking type services. But the vast majority of their revenue is not from lending. That's what banks typically do. There's some lending activity, but it's a very small percentage of their profit. Now, the biggest risk with Schwab is going to be the rules around selling order flow. And the SEC is certainly looking into this and could constrict how much they make per trade and and, and put some rules around this because this is kind of this new there's new rules to the road that really haven't been written uh, because this road just started to go down after Robinhood really paved the way with uh, free commissions, uh, zero commissions. And that was driven by selling order flow to uh, big high frequency trading institutions like Fortress and Schwab and Fidelity and and all the other firms kind of did the same thing uh, to, to some degree and got their commissions down to zero as well. Um, So how is that going to impact the industry and profitability is probably the biggest risk for Schwab. But we like the company, and uh, but it's not a bank; it's a broker. Let's head over. Let's go. Let's go check on another voicemail question at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Yes, hi, Stephen, Justin. My name is Serafi. I'm calling from Ohio. I've been a listener for the past six months, and you guys have been instrumental in my quest to become financially literate. My question is about dollar cost averaging for a portfolio of individual stocks. I have already maxed out all my retirement accounts, consisting of mutual funds. In June, I opened a taxable account with 30K, and I've been adding 2K a month. I am somewhat okay with the fundamental analysis, so I now have 16 well-diversified, stable growth and value stocks that are not in any of my mutual funds. My plan is to hold 18 to 20 for long term. Almost all of my positions have appreciated, so when I put more, my average cost basis goes up. 
would that be okay if I just keep on working in positions that have at least a 25% safety margin based on discounted cash flow or target price? Not that I'm good at it, but are there simple technical indicators to guide me? Thank you very much, and I'll wait for your answer on the podcast. Well, there are simple technical indicators, and that would be the moving averages. And are they pointing up or are they pointed down? And, and typically, that's a good indication of uh, the overall trend. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is you're looking at 15, 16 different names, and that's decent diversification. But the statistics say you probably need somewhere in the 20 to 25 position range to be well diversified. Uh, and so that's what I would uh, do is, is you're, as, as you're adding more positions, $2,000 uh, per, per month, um, then I would start to try to maybe add, take that 2000 and put it in one position until you get up to around 25. And then you can kind of uh, manage around that number, get it up to maybe 40 at the top end. So between 25 and 40 is probably a good sweet spot of the number of positions that you want to have in a particular portfolio. And so uh, as you, as you build that, you, you should, um, you should broaden that out a little bit more just to create that diversity. So I hope that helped. And uh, I hope to give all of you a little guidance there because a lot of people are exact opposite of you. They have not 15 or 16 names. They have 60, 70, 80, hundred names. We've seen clients come aboard with hundreds of names and it takes a while to whittle that down. But um, make sure that you're not overexposed uh, to any one position by only having uh, 15 or 16%, or sorry, 15 to 16 positions. Thanks for the call. Well, I think that sums it up for today. I appreciate you all tuning in to the show. And uh, this has been another episode of Invest Talk. And I appreciate you all. And we're approaching what, 44 million downloads. And you can find your for free anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.